Thanks so much, Sarah. It's uh, great to be back for 2023 and supporting Myosh and hopefully sharing a lot of our learnings over the uh, next couple of months. So as Sarah said, we are FIFO Consulting. We're a small consultancy based on the east coast of Australia, covering uh, most states, but we also have reach internationally as well through our partnership network. Uh, some of our clients have include uh, the likes of Lendlease, Channel 9, the Grand Prix, AFL, Ventia, uh, and we do have, um, we have been recognised through a number of awards and uh, different things such as magazines, uh, blogs, both here and overseas. We also have the Health and Safety Index, which we will uh, talk about a little bit later. We're using some of the data we found to, um, to talk about today's discussion, but I'll introduce you to Amelia and she'll take it from here. Thanks, Perry and Sarah for a fantastic introduction. Um, so, I guess quick snapshot why we're all here. Um, we all know that a vital step in maintaining a safe workplace is the training, assessment and supervision of workers, making sure that they are trained and competent. Um, and, you know, we pay a special amount of focus to, to new workers and they range from those new to the industry who are unfamiliar with plant and equipment, um, maybe unfamiliar with our operations and processes um, right through to people who are experienced who might just be moving to a different site or a different employer. With recent labour shortages and industry disruptions, more and more new workers are moving into the industry and moving between employers. So we know that in this environment, training and competency becomes increasingly important and so do our regulators. So uh, we should all ensure that our workers who operate mobile plants have a, um, and have a method of documented evaluation of their skill level against a company-defined competency standard. Uh, we're going to get into that in a little bit more detail throughout today's session. So just out of in interest, I'd love to collect a little bit of information and I'd um, love if you could respond using the poll. Does your organization currently have a VOC process in place? So you should see a small poll in a Zoom meeting come up uh, and each of you can select yes, no, or unsure. Thanks, Amelia. We, we've got the poll going. Um, shouldn't take too long, just a few seconds, and then um, we'll get most of the participants to respond. All right, we'll just give it that final. It's like watching a horse race. Okay, I'll share those results now. So interestingly, just over 50% of attendees today do have a VOC process in place. For those of you who do have VOC processes in place, I hope that throughout today's session, you perhaps identify some opportunities where that existing process could be improved. Um, and for those of you who don't, I hope that we explain some of the reasons why it can be beneficial and some of the ways that you can make it work in a more streamlined fashion throughout the webinar today. So the reason that it is important uh, to address worker um, training and competency is um, reflected in some pretty scary statistics. So, um, Safe Work publishes uh, incident uh, and industry-based statistics um, on an annual basis, and they collated data from 2016 to 2020. And what that data showed was that over 70% of um, worker fatalities uh, included uh, plant and equipment operation as a contributing factor, which um, you know includes being hit by moving and falling objects or trapped by machinery, um, vehicle collisions, things, uh, incidents of that nature. They're pretty uh, scary statistics um, and just go to reinforce our need to really focus on this area um, in our safety management systems and processes. So it makes sense then that the things that we're going to have a look at today include understanding your legal obligations around VOC, so including operator competency as well as assessor competency. Um, I hope that you all leave the webinar understanding how to demonstrate due diligence um, and how to understand some of that risk of, of liability. There's a few myths in the industry around that, so hopefully I can clear that up. Um, and then 
my colleague Terry is going to go through uh, some of the risk-based approach to establishing VOC systems of work and uh, how that can contribute to um, a high-performance cult culture um, using uh, some really valuable leadership principles. Well, let's get started. So basically, um, assuming nothing, we know that VOC is at least a process for ensuring that operators are trained and competent to ultimate plan. Um, it's intended to be a pretty simple check of an operator's ability to safely operate that plant. And it is most often associated with high-risk plant equipment and high-risk industry. Uh, the reasons that we do it, well, the benefits of checking operator competency prior to work commencing on the site include reducing the likelihood of occurrences um, and injuries from unsafe operation of plant and improved ability to meet deadlines owing to greater certainty that plant operators are able to operate that plant in accordance with those skills documented by certificates and logbooks. And it's part of our overall um, safety strategy. You can see um, on the screen, we've got a little bit of an infographic that just shows how it's embedded into that high performance safety culture. So ultimately, the goal of our management systems and processes is to ensure that our business goals are being And one of our business goals might be to meet compliance objectives, but I doubt that's where this stops. So for those of you who are here today and you, know, you have some desire to understand verification of competency opportunities better, and there's an opportunity once we understand requirements um, to strike a balance between compliance and performance. So I guess often VOC is seen as a compliance activity rather than an opportunity to coach, build and create high performance. The difference between compliance versus the performance focus is really that compliance is just a pass or fail, whereas performance looks to focus on opportunities and look at the effectiveness of those processes as well. So we have a uh, an interesting little uh, which case one scenario for those of you uh, attending today. I'm going to quickly run through uh, a, a real case uh, involving um, operator competency. And we're going to have a look at um, the presiding judge's magistrate's outcome. So um, in 2020, uh, at a premise that I won't name. Some apprentices were asked, were tasked with the transportation of skip bins, and one apprentice became the primary forklift operator at the work at the workplace. After one of the other guys who did have a license showed him the rope. So a few days later, when the forklift operator, so this apprentice, was preparing to collect the skip bins from the curbside, he was approached by another apprentice. And that, had, that apprentice had the best of intentions. He wanted to help the, the forklift driver, probably his mate, out. And he sat on the side of the forklift to travel out to the bins with him. Both apprentices knew that sitting on the side of the forklift while it was in motion wasn't permitted. Um, and when they saw their supervisor walking towards them, the other apprentice jumped off the forklift before it started moving. The forklift operator didn't notice that the other apprentice had jumped down and he started driving, causing the forklift to run over his friend's leg, causing soft tissue damage. And the other apprentice was unable to place weight on that injured leg for more than a week, missing three weeks of work as a result. So today, I'd like to have a poll and you can help me decide, or I'd like to know who you think won, either the defendant in this case or the prosecution, and I'll present you a case for both. So thinking about the position of the defendant, the defendant misunderstood the requirements of the work health and safety regulation, thinking that the forklift could be operated by unlicensed workers, so long as they're supervised by another licensed worker. Um, they're otherwise um, a pretty virtuous employer and an outstanding corporate citizen providing significant support to the community in which they operate. Now, case for the prosecution, the defendant hadn't implemented any 
corporate-specific safety systems of work, nor traffic management plans in that workplace. In addition to that, they had failed to ensure that the forklift operators had the appropriate licenses and received training, instructions and supervision in the operation of the forklift. The prosecution thought the risk was foreseeable, especially given that the workers involved were young and inexperienced. So you have an opportunity now to vote for the outcome and Sarah, I'll get you to let me know once we have some responses before I um, switch to the next slide and reveal the outcome. Okay, yeah, we'll just give it um, a few more seconds. Um, not long. Yes. Okay, I'm sure. I find this one really interesting because uh, it's not an impossible scenario to to imagine. Okay, there we go. Thanks, Sarah. So what we can see is that um, just over ten percent thought that the, the defendant had a had a pretty good case, uh, but the vast majority majority of attendees today think uh, the prosecution uh, was likely to have. Um, one. So if you guess the prosecution, you're right. Uh, during proceedings, the magistrate accepted that the defendant did misunderstand the requirements of the work health and safety regulations, believing that that forklift could have been operated by unlicensed workers, providing that they were supervised by another licensed worker. And he took into account that they pleaded guilty early um, and that they have um, but cooperated um, throughout the entire uh, proceeding, noting that they're otherwise a really good corporate citizen. They did still determine um, that, uh, sorry, um, the company was still fined $40,000. And for those of you who prefer uh, to provide a safe system of work, um, and for those of you who would like some more information regarding this particular case, you can look that up um, through the Queensland Work Health and Safety case book. So basically, um, that was a, a long-winded way of saying that we we just can't escape the uh, legal obligations around um, operator competency and the requirement to provide the training and systems to support safe plants and equipment operation on our site. There are a number of places uh, where these requirements are published. So we um, need to be familiar with those that come from the Workplace Health and Safety Act, such as the duty to ensure so far as is reasonably practicable that uh, workers and other people are not exposed to health and safety risks that relate to your business's undertaking that extends to plant uh, equipment in the workplace. Um, but those requirements continue in the regulation and throughout codes of practice as well. So let's move in to the next se uh, segment of our session this morning then and have a look at what does due diligence look like with regards to verification of competency and processes that we need to implement in our own organisation. So the use of competent operators is a key control for management of mobile plant risk. Therefore, a system to define the competency requirements for the operation of plants, which might include a combination of different uh, means, is required um, as the starting point in ensuring that uh, competent operators are engaged. Um, the Workplace Health and Safety Regulation sets out um, a list of um, work which requires high-risk work, and that's things like um, you know, forklift, reach stacker, uh, boom tire PWP, cranes and things. Um, and those high-risk work licenses are issued by RTOs in accordance with um, the National Register of VAT. Uh, that's where you can look up those RTO listings. But what about the rest? What about the rest of the plant and equipment that doesn't require high-risk work licenses? So for those, the... Um, Examples of what might be accepted might include things like uh, license or certificates of competency, statement of attainment or certificates issued by RTOs, even though it might 
not be a high risk work license, but also a formal VOC assessment. So the minimal, the minimum acceptable level uh, for a formal VOC assessment that's not undertaken by an RTO is a structured template questionnaire or checklist that's either aligned to a nationally recognized training package or a similar structured questionnaire tailored to the safe operation of that item of mobile plan. So include things like the hazards, risks and controls, operator manual requirements, emergency situations and response. It needs to be performed by someone who's competent as an assessor. And when we think about competence, that could be a person who holds uh, a training and assessment uh, certificate for. They might hold an assessor skill set, or otherwise they hold the necessary competence, um, competence for the item of plans. Uh, it should not be carried out by someone who has no demonstrable competence as an assessor or someone who doesn't have experience in that subject matter or in the operation of that item of plan. The reason is um, in those circumstances, they're not able to reach an informed conclusion about the true competence of that individual to safely operate this item of plan for which they're being assessed. So that's who can and can't do it, but what does it involve? So ideally a VOC should be a combination of workplace, um, and assessment, so on the job, mentoring, coaching, and some formal training. It should accurately simulate the range of activities and circumstances that operator is likely to face in day-to-day -day, um, operations on your site or in your business. It should allow for discussion and ensure that the relevant documents and resources are available to them when they need it. Um, we are going to circle back to why it's so important to include uh, the ability of the operator to follow emergency procedures and contribute to uh, consultation arrangements through simulations a little bit later with a video. Um, but when I'm talking about these methods that we do use for assessment, simulation means simulating um, the workplace in a classroom or workshop environment. Uh, questioning can take the form of an interview or series of casual conversations, and that does um, ensure that we're not disadvantaging employees with reading or writing um, uh, limited abilities. And finally, testing is a method to that most employees uh, probably are familiar with already, um, providing extensive information on the knowledge and experience of, a, of an operator um, set by setting a test, and ideally that in, involves some theory and some So the most important thing about a VOC is even though there are a number of different ways that you can undertake them, it must be completed against the defined standards for making sure that it's consistent time and time again. Well, what's not acceptable for VOC? Um, so things that I see during my time working in health and safety, uh, certainly in the construction sector for quite a few years now, uh, I would not, and you should not, accept a letter signed by an employer or a supervisor um, very less a verbal confirmation claiming uh, that the work is competent. That on its own should not be accepted as evidence of competence. Um, and you also, also shouldn't accept an assessment carried out by someone who's not competent. As I said before, an assessor should have experience in that subject matter or the plant operation themselves and be competent as an assessor. Um, and I guess that sort of lends to some of the issues that we see in in the industry um, where you know that plant operator training doesn't include actual observation of them undertaking the tasks it doesn't have uh, formal assessment tools or documents some companies don't consider you know the needs for refresher training um, they have outdated systems um, documented for training and competency measurements um, and in some cases some contractors operating mobile plant without even assessing um, their plant operator competence at all, just accepting things like a high-risk work life. So I said before that I would demonstrate the reasons why perhaps uh, we should include emergency scenarios in uh, our verification of competency processes. The video that I wanna show you is actually from Nepal um, and what you're looking at is uh, an incident that involved two excavators, one trying to recover the other following an incident. 
This is the second excavator now trying to assist his friend. So I guess we can see the importance of including normal and adverse so we can see, thankfully, no one was hurt, but it is really important to include both normal and adverse conditions uh, in verification of competency assessments. One thing that doesn't often get discussed when we talk about VOC is this requirement for refresher training. And that's because it's not mandatory unless it's deemed necessary by your own company. Um, Exercising due, due diligence means considering that frequency of refresher training needs for your own company based on the risk profile of the plant involved in your operations and the tasks, uh, including the number of times that task might change. Other occasions where refresher training might be warranted would include if a worker has demonstrated incompetence uh, in that task or operation or been involved in an incident, uh, reassessment may also be required in those circumstances. So on that note, I might hand over to my colleague, Harry, to continue to talk us through sections two and three. In the meantime, let's get one more poll going. I wanna know whether you guys uh, and girls think that knowledge alone is competency, true or false. We actually uh, didn't organize a poll for this one, Mills, so we might, um... Continue from this one. <laughs> can I just can I just say there that that's fine, Terry. No, I didn't know about this poll, but we have the chat open, so everybody can just write the answer in there if they like. And there you go. <laughs> yeah, great. Let's give people a few seconds to do that. And also, Mills, there's a couple of questions through your um, presentation. Do you want to jump in now and answer a few of those questions before we move on? Uh, yeah, so I actually only just had the opportunity to have a bit of a read. I am uh, not the best at multitasking, talking and presenting, but I appreciate there are a number of questions that have come through. Um, so we've got a question from, yeah. Sorry, Namelia, you're doing fine. I won't interrupt. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Uh, so we've got one question here. What's the difference between VOC and SOP? And if we were to choose one, which would it be and why? Uh, basically, those two items are not interchangeable. Uh, an SOP is um, a documented instruction for how to conduct a task or operate a piece of machinery, for example, including some of those things that we would include in a VOC. The verification of competency is the process that verifies the implementation of the SOP. So those things are not mutually exclusive and they're not interchangeable. Uh, another question here, are you saying only a person with a certificate for in training or assessment or higher should assess VOCs? Absolutely not. Step um, four in training and assessment is one way that a person can be competent in assessment processes. There are other formal structured training packages such as the assessor skill set. And your own company might also just make a determination for what is competency and therefore who holds the competency to conduct that within your company. So there are a few different approaches that you can take and they are going to be based on that risk profile and scale of your business. Uh, just a comment here, just because someone holds a high-risk high risk work licence does not necessarily deem them competent. High-risk work licences can be renewed without a VOC. Should companies be VOCing staff where they hold a high-risk work licence and haven't completed any further training since the ticket or licence is issued? I appreciate that question because it is a short answer. Yes. Thank you, Nicole. And we are moving now into some of the responses to the true or false Mythbuster. Terry, did you want to dive into that one now? Yeah, absolutely. So looking at the chat here, um, it looks like pretty much everyone has decided that is false. And we do agree with that as well. So 
As we move forward, we're going to be talking now about uh, critical control management and what is the relationship between critical control management and the BAC process. So firstly, we're going to give a definition and our definitions come from the International Council of Mining and Minerals. So they've got some great material there and some guidance notes uh, and some implementation guides around critical control management, which again, check out in your own time. But the definition we have here is critical control management, CCM, uh, often referred to as critical risk management. It is an internationally recognized approach for organizations in high risk industries. So very common in the mining sector. It focuses on effective critical controls to prevent and mitigate those rare, but potentially fatal um, major unwanted events. And I'll give you a definition of the major unwanted events um, soon, but it's important to realize that competent operators is a key control for the management of mobile plant risks. And therefore you need a system um, to define the competency requirements uh, for the operation of plant, which might include the combination of licenses, formal training, uh, and also the verification of competency process. So it's generally um, a starting point uh, to ensure operators are competent and engaged. So the definitions here for critical control, again, from the ICMM, a critical control, a control that is crucial to preventing the event or mitigating the consequences of the event. The absence or failure of a critical control would significantly increase the risk despite the existence of other controls. In addition, a control that prevents more than one unwanted event or mitigates more than one consequence is normally classified as critical. When we look at critical control management, um, the definition here from the ICMM is a process for managing the risk of material unwanted events or MUEs as they're commonly known, that involves a systematic approach to ensure critical controls are in place and effective. And that's a really critical point to, um, to point out there. Just because critical controls um, have been in place, you need to make sure they are effective. Now looking at MUE, so the definition here from the ICMM, uh, they define a material unwanted event as the unwanted event where the potential or real consequence exceeds the threshold defined by the company as warranting the highest level of attention. Uh, for example, um, the health and safety impact. So. Again, looking at slip strips and falls or uh, manual handling, you wouldn't deem that as a material unwanted event, but you look at um, you know, vehicles and driving, falls from height, confined spaces, that sort of thing, that starts looking at the um, MUEs. So let's look at the difference between uh, the competency and a critical control. So with competency, you are verifying that the skills, experience and qualifications are relating to people it is an enabling control and on its own, it's often not the difference between life and death. With a critical control, it's often broader and it normally covers the four P's. So people, plant, process and places. And if it's not in place or if it's ineffective, it's likely to result in a catastrophe. So when we look at the uh, VOC versus the uh, verification of a critical control, here's some examples of typical questions that are asked and we'll see if they fall under the VOC or critical control um, element. So the first one here, um, a typical question is, does the operator understand the safe working load limits? That sits within VOC. Uh, communication protocols are applied effectively. Uh, for example, audible sounds, two-way positive communication, use of spotters, radios. That actually sits in both under VOC and critical control plan. Is, plant, uh, is faulty plant and equipment quarantined and tagged out? That sits within critical control. Uh, load configurations and restraints effectively manage uh, uncontrolled loads, critical control. When we look at the place, are uh, access controls in place during the use and maintenance to separate pedestrians and falling objects? For example, uh, overhead protection, uh, barriers, um, the fobs, exclusion zones, that sits within critical control uh, also as well as our sensors applied to detect interaction of mobile plant with pedestrians. Uh, that's also in critical control. From a process point of view, is routine maintenance completed as scheduled? That is in the critical control phase, not VOC. So as we mentioned a little bit earlier, um, critical controls can be broken up into different categories. So it could be process, uh, place, plant and people. What we're gonna do now is just have a look at some examples there of what some of these critical controls may look like. 
So when we're looking at process, uh, some examples are, are isolation permits effectively authorised prior to work commencing, such as the lockout tagout process? Is routine maintenance completed as scheduled? Um, and are loads secure to meet the minimum requirements? When we look at place, are access controls in place during the use and maintenance to separate pedestrians and falling objects? Um, that was one that was mentioned earlier. Um, again, are sensors applied to detect the interaction of mobile plant with pedestrians? Uh, designated exclusion zones, um, differentiating between pedestrians and drivers, are they effective? And is there a dedicated zone um, for areas, uh, for safe zone areas effective? Now, these may differ in an organisation depending on your um, environment, your requirements, um, obviously what you can spend as well. So just keep that in mind. When we look at plant, is faulty plant equipment quarantined and tagged out? Uh, are, are controls effective to manage falls from height? Uh, are load configuration and restraints effective to manage uh, uncontrolled load movement? And are rollover protection systems, um, such as you know, the falling um, objects protection systems suited to fit the specific requirements? And the last one we're gonna quickly speak about is, are operators fit for work under drug, drug and alcohol limits? Uh, operators uh, demonstrating positive behaviours. So for example, not um, using their mobile phones, not distracted, not rushing. Complacent's a really big one. And with complacency, the VOC process can help uh, big time in that space as well to, to highlight what should be done because uh, even the most experienced operators can fall into some uh, bad habits over time. Does the operator's performance reflect the competency requirements? So we've got that involved there because that is quite an important one. Does the operator's performance reflect what the company requirements are? And that's where that VOC process comes in. Communication protocols are applied effectively, such as audible sounds, two-way positive communication, use of spotters, radios, et cetera. So I guess the question is, where does VOC sit with the um, critical control management? So firstly, we'll go um, through uh, a definition of verification. So Verification is the act of checking or actively monitoring that the activities that support and improve critical controls are completed to an acceptable level. And that's from the ICMM again. So on the left-hand side there, you can see that we've got the critical control um, cycle, which is from the ICMM uh, guidance note. So step one in the cycle is uh, planning the process. Step two is identify material major unwanted events identify the controls for those, select the critical controls, um, define performance and reporting requirements for those critical controls. You then need to assign accountability. Step eight is verification and, rep uh, and reporting. So this is where the verification um, comes into play here. And number nine is the response to inadequate uh, critical control performance. So it's important to note that whenever we identify and implement people-based controls, we rely on skills, knowledge, uh, experience of individual groups. People-based controls um, or the ACTS have three levels of adequacy based on considerations, which might include uh, the degree on which people understand the roles, uh, their responsibilities, and how skilled and how trained they are um, and how disciplined they are as well. So when we're looking at it from a management system point of view, a company should have a system in place to define the competency requirement of plant operators um, to operate specific items of plant aligned with their risk threshold, as we uh, briefly mentioned earlier. So for example, this might include a training needs analysis, a training matrix um, slash register, copies of qualifications and licenses, and finally that verification of competency um, process and the records that go with that. Oops, sorry, wrong button. So uh, we need to confirm who and when. So here's just a very simple example from a forklift point of view. So an organization needs to confirm the learning need and who requires that need and both um, consider general positions, but also any speci uh, specific specialty roles which might be within your organization. Some examples of specialty roles might include auditors, assessors, investigators, uh, permit approvers, emergency wardens, um, things like that. So it's also important to note that uh, refresher training is not mandatory unless is required by the legislation or the RTO or deemed necessary by the company taking a risk-based approach to this. So one organisation may um, take a risk-based approach and say, 
we are not going to require mandatory training for, for this item of plant or this process. However, another organisation with a, um, a, a dis different risk profile or a different approach might say that we're going to do this annually. So that's up to the organisation. So when you're considering the frequency of refresher training um, for internal competency, you might want to include um, your, you might want to reference, sorry, your risk profile um, and the equipment you've got on site, the task and the people and bring that all together and obviously consult with those key stakeholders. Uh, if a worker has demonstrated um, incompetence uh, in that task or uh, has been involved in an incident, that would also be a time to review that competence as well. So I think we can all agree that a VOC program is so much more than a, just a piece of paper. Uh, there's obviously some really, really big benefits um, to an organisation. So for the business, it means the trainee can be assessed without having to um, stop work and travel somewhere. It can be done on site um, majority of the time. Uh, you can determine whether the right people are in the right jobs as well um, and whether future training is required because a VOC process is not just a tick box exercise. It's an opportunity, as uh, Mills said earlier, to enable high performance. Um, but for the trainee, it can, it can mean so much more. So when, uh, when an assessment happens during learning, it is often informal such as when a supervisor gives a trainee feedback on how they're getting on with a particular aspect of their work. When designed and implemented, um, a, an assessment provides opportunities for trainees to demonstrate the knowledge and skills required to meet competency standards. Um, and it's often a more than just a one-off event, it's an ongoing process. So an assessment is the evidence of a gathering um, uh, information um, via the trainees, um, verifies and assesses that supports to achieve what is required. So um, we can all agree there that a VAC process is so much more than a tick the box exercise. It is there to add value. And like Amelia said earlier, try and create those teams of high performance. So, when we look at a supervisor point of view, there's such an opportunity here to, um, to have an impact. So trainers, assessors and supervisors all have a huge opportunity uh, for a positive impact um, due to the people that they influence on a day-to-day -day basis. It can be quite large. So uh, these roles are often well-respected, um, have an opportunity to influence the culture due to, the, due to their direct contact with the work and their knowledge of the work. And they do meet with people on a daily basis. So they have a huge opportunity here to impact um, supervisors who demonstrate the importance of safety through um, consistent and effective coaching and set level of expectations for safety um, often outcomes uh, are great results. So what we're going to look at here um, just quickly is around the health and safety index. So uh, without going into too much detail, the health and safety index um, is a product of ours, which is a diagnostic tool, which is done via a survey. What this does is it looks at safety leadership systems, engagement and well-being. A number of organisations across many diverse industries have used this health and safety index over the last couple of years. And what that has allowed us to do is um, identify benchmark data for the industry, which is um, giving us some pretty amazing insights. So what I want to do here is to talk about two questions uh, within this survey, as I think it's quite interesting for the context of um, what we're talking about today. So the first one there is, uh, the first question is, I know how to go about getting my job done. So the index score for that was 91%. When we look at the following question, workers walk past unacceptable behaviors without stopping, the index uh, answer there was 57%. So obviously there's a, a clear gap here between knowing and doing. So often people believe they, they know how to get the job done. However, when they're doing so, they're doing it incorrectly or they're taking shortcuts which is why that VOC process is, is so important. So um, what you can do with this health and safety index as well is you can do this across your organization um, to understand where you're currently at and in 12 months time, do it again and benchmark your own data, which is quite interesting. So if you're looking to implement a new system or process such as VOC, you can back it up with data to see uh, what the change is over time. So it can be quite a powerful tool. The, uh, the final thing we're going to talk about today before we go into some questions is um, the learning improvement. So the learning improvement part of VOC is what it's all about, okay? It's not there to tick a box. It's not there to slap someone on the wrist for not being able to meet uh, uh, the criteria. It's about learning and improving. So what you want to do is access and apply resources to make sure that you're sharing the lessons learned across the team. 
measure performance and continually strive to improve, which is what it's all about. So the focus should be on what's working really well and what isn't working, where do we need to improve, what are the challenges or barriers um, for us getting from where we are now to that high performance, which is what we're trying to achieve, what can be done differently. So engage your teams around what can we do differently um, as a group. Um, and the question you need to ask yourself is how can we share our learnings across the organization, which is critically important. So from the VOC process, um, like I said, it's not always about just uh, ticking and flicking and slapping someone on the wrist for not meeting the performance criteria. It's about growing to achieve that high performance uh, area, which we all want to try and achieve. So to do this, the VOC process should be a, a coaching um, opportunity. So Failure to um, verify competency shouldn't result on uh, a slap on the wrist. It should result in a coaching opportunity. So there's also um, exceptions to this rule, of course, as well, which might be a performance management scenario. Just keep that in the back of your mind. So um, it's important to note too that coaching isn't just for people who don't pass a VOC. There may be opportunities for further improvement for all people involved in a VOC. So you think about those people that have been on site for um, years and years and years, been doing the, the job for 20 years, using the plant, very, very skilled operators. We all have room for improvement and especially as technology and process changes as well or changes to your work environment too. Um, so there's always opportunities there to improve. And we, we suggest using the uh, coaching to grow model. So obviously for those of you who have not been involved in this one, it's a great tool used for coaching, which is looking at the goal, what do we want to try and achieve? In this scenario, it's um, meeting our competency requirements or it's, um, it's you know, getting high performance teams. Ask your team what's working, what's not working. Um, get an idea of where you're at. So if you've got you know, 10 people out of 12 failing VOC, obviously something's not working. Talk about with your team, um, what are your options moving forward? And this might also be conversation with the training team or the safety team. So. You know, we've got a situation where people aren't um, passing the VOC process. What are our options moving forward? What can we do? Um, keeping in mind that this is a coaching opportunity um, for improvement. And then look at what are the ways forward and commit to how you're going to do that. Whoops. Okay. Um, so to, to bring this all together, the VOC process isn't just about um, passing or failing. That's not what it's for. It's about um, improvement to lower risk and achieve high-performing teams that can enable you to do more and, um, and grow. So the verification, coaching, um, sharing learnings, they're all a critical component for continual improvement. Like I said earlier, sharing the lessons learned from experienced operators, um, you know, your seasoned veterans um, to the new starters just adds value for everyone. And you've often got situations where the, uh, the new starter might have done a brand new course and has the latest knowledge and can share learnings with those experienced operators as well. So there's such a great opportunity to add value both ways. I'll, uh, I'll hand back to Mills now to um, start talking about the wrap up. Thanks, Terry. You're a hard act to follow. I'm glad my job is now just to do the wrap up. Uh, there have been a few questions come through throughout your uh, presentation as well. So I um, might leave them with you to have a look at while we just reflect on what we've covered in today's session. So I guess in summary, what we're saying is there are legal obligations uh, for um, us as you know, employers and, and, and organizations to ensure that so far as is reasonably practicable, workers and other people are not exposed to health and safety risks arising from the business or undertaking, including operator competency and assessor competency. Um, we need to understand how uh, we can demonstrate due diligence um, in executing um, our responsibilities and minimizing that risk of, of liability as well. I hope that we've dispelled some of the myths around who can and who can't complete EOC and where one is and isn't required, as well as some considerations that you might make looking at um, what types of equipment you may actually VOC and at what frequency you might do refreshes. Um, and Terry's done a fantastic job also you know, just kind of wrapping up in a nutshell that risk-based approach then ensuring that the efforts that you do make are spent in the most places, uh, understanding where your critical risk exists and so the most suitable controls that are required. 
Um, and just um, as a bit of kind of continued professional development, understanding how that also fits in with uh, you know, best practice leadership principles and how we can use VOC as an opportunity to build a high-performance culture. Um, so Mills, I might just jump in here quickly. Well, We've got a question from, um, from yeah. Todd. So um, he's just saying, thanks for sharing the plant equipment statistics uh, for fatalities. Do we have any more data linking to competence um, as a casual factor in these events? So um, Todd, if you want to reach out to us um, via LinkedIn or our website, we'd be happy to um, look at the health and safety index benchmark data and see if we can help out there with further statistics. But I think um, obviously Safe Work Australia and your regulator website might have some um, statistics there as well. Um, not sure if you want to jump in there, Mules, with anything else? Just that it's, it's, um, it's not differentiated in the statistics that I could identify publicly. And I think that's because it is um, subjective and because competency is not um, predetermined kind of uh, criteria. Um, it looks different in every situation. So I, I found it quite difficult myself to, to pull those statistics out. Um, we found more kind of safety data around um, operators and their level of competency as opposed to that as a contributing factor for incidents. I'm so sorry, Todd, we don't have something that's for you. Um, can I just jump in quickly? Um, we, we, this webinar has been so very, very popular. L loads of people registered. It's obviously very topical. Um, we have got a really lot of questions. I've also got a um, one of our consultants here. We have a really good verification of competency module, and he's going to give a quick demo um, in about um, five minutes, or as soon as we get through a couple of these questions. But if we don't get through all of the questions, please email them to me. I'll forward them on to FIFO, the FIFO team. And um, yes, and also earlier in the uh, session, we also had people wanting to say what roles they were um, in, whether they're in health and safety or plant equipment operators. You can drop that in the chat if you, if you want to share that information. So back to you, Terry, do you want me to read these questions? Uh, thanks, Sarah. I think what we'll do is now we'll go to the final couple of slides, um, which is going to help people find some more information. Then we'll jump into some questions and then we can get a demo um, from your from your team, if that's okay. Yep. So um, for some further information, if you head to our website, we do have a guide there um, around verification of competency and we've got some six, six steps there on building high performance. So feel free to jump on our website. There's a free um, free download there for you. Um, also on our website, we've got um, a catalogue of training modules that we can offer. And like I said earlier, the health and safety index can be quite um, a valuable tool for an organisation to understand where you're currently at from a systems and engagement and leadership point of view. Um, and also benchmarking that in 12 months time uh, can be a very, very um, value add process for you. Um, and the final thing I want to talk about here is we actually did a webinar series with Myosh. Uh, it was last year sometime, Sarah. I don't know what month, but uh, if you jump over to the Myosh website, you can find our webinar, which is the unintended consequences of getting it wrong, which is a six part series with all sorts of um, special guests around critical control management. Uh, and we do have some more free downloadables there for you as well, if that's sparked an interest. So I think we'll go back to the um, the questions quickly. Um, Mills, this one might be a good one for you. So uh, with your experience on construction sites in particular. So the question here from the anonymous attendee is the difference between VOC and ATO, um, approval to operate. Should a company be completing this for workers that attend site? If so, how do we deem someone competent to complete these for all plant um, that may come on site? Have you got some experience in this space, Amelia? Thanks, Terry. Yeah, I do. Um, so I should say that they are two uh, really different things. So uh, approval to operate, if you think about that more like a, a needs assessment, if you consider what type of VOC and what level of competency is required for various types of plant, you'd then make a decision on whether or not a person holds the adequate competency for that item. That's a decision made on a company by company basis how you capture it and what documentation is required is also uh, a decision made on a company by company basis um, unfortunately because it is so specific I'd love if uh, it's made by an anonymous attendee but I'd love to follow that conversation up in more detail and happy to share my contact details at the end of the session for that one 
Um, a few people did uh, raise some questions that I thought just that we can get through if you guys want to have a read while we have the demonstration. I've tried to answer some uh, in the question and answers in text in the in the little module in Zoom. Okay. Um, do you want to jump on Adrian now? Uh, yes, sure. Okay. Um, I'm just going to share my screen. So just give me one moment. In fact, I think um, I think you need to stop sharing at your end if you are still. There you go. Fantastic. Thank you. Okay. So bear with me for a moment. Okay. So what I'm sharing, and hopefully everyone can see this, is I've got my iPad um, projected onto my um, onto my screen. And what you can see here is I've got a series of verification uh, verification competencies forms that you can actually go out into the field and do. So you can take the iPad. You can do it on a phone as well, but the iPad is probably better suited. And you don't have to have internet access. You could be out in the middle of nowhere and, and this module will still work and will update the source system when it gets back to internet. So today what I'm gonna do, and it'll be a very, very quick demonstration. So I'm just gonna look at a verification for a, um, for a forklift. So I'm just gonna click on that one, press on that one, and that's loaded the form itself. Now, one thing I'd like to point out is the questions that we're putting, that we've put in here and the information we've put in here is completely configurable. So if the questions are, you can, you can create as many verification competency forms as you like with your specific forms and even your workflow. So in this particular case, this is just an example of one. So if it doesn't suit what you need to do, obviously it can be changed very, very simply and by you. So in this case, I'm Angela. It may not sound like Angela, but that's me at the moment. I'm going to choose the person who's actually doing the, uh, who's being assessed. Okay, so that can be me. The date automatically populates. Um, we've got a question in there for um, literacy assistance required. So in this case, you know, I can speak English, I think, just. The, um, at this point here, what you'd do is you'd hand this to the employee who's actually being assessed. So they can then read that and say, yes, okay, I'm signing this. So there's my signature. And what I'm going to do now is go into the next stage of the verification. So first of all, there's a written, um, there's a, uh, a written oral assessment. So this, this gets back to the um, assessor. So the assessor will be, you know, things like name at least four parts, which would form part of your pre-starting inspection. So they might say, yes, they're competent and you can force more details. You can also, even in, if the time permits or circumstances permit, you can even have pictures being taken and those sorts of things. So they might have an observation they can put in there. Um, and they can either type that um, observation or um, or they can um, or they can even put it up to the person who's being assessed and they can then continue talking straight into the microphone on the iPad and it will record their answer. So they could record their answers that way and then the, the instructor is going to say whether it's competent or not based on what they've recorded and so forth. So you might have a series of questions here. Um, and as you can see, it just goes further down. I'm not going to waste time or spend too much time completing this particular one, but you'd, you've got something down the bottom there where you've got some further comments. Again, you can record your answer or type it in on the keyboard if you wish to. Okay, so the next part of the assessment is the practical component. So again, this will vary from assessment to assessment and from depending upon what it is you're verifying. So this is just the structure for this one that we've got. So I'll choose the practical one. There's some information here um and uh, you know some assessment instructions basically um so in this particular case we're going to go down and say um they're doing uh, they're doing the task um pre-start check logbook completed they're competent more details again you can put the information in there so again you just go straight through all the questions and I'm, again if they're not competent the color might change to red um, or it can be not applicable if required. You can also make all of these mandatory as well. So you can make sure that they have to fill it out and they can't just skip questions. Okay, so when we get to the very, very bottom of it, they've answered a whole lot of questions. Um, so you can sort of see there's a whole lot of questions there. We then go to the next step, which is the assessment decision. So in this particular case, I'm gonna choose competent and I'm going to ask the employee, so I hand the iPad back to the employee and they, they can then just sign. Um, and as the assessor, because I'm actually logged on to the iPad, I don't need to physically sign. I've got a digital signature, if you like. But if you really wanted to, you could also have the assessor signature 
like we've got the employee signature, that's completely configurable. So I'll tick that. Um, and then it's asking that you've got evidence attached. So the very, very, um, you know, the last screen is the, uh, well, not the last screen, but there's an attachment screen at the end and you can attach information or take pictures there. Um, I can now, if I want to, I can now go in and I can, and I won't do this right now because it takes a short amount of time, but I can create a training record to say, I'm happy this person can now have a completed training record within the system and it will automatically create a renewal date. Now, if you've got other modules like our rules engine and some other configuration, you could have this set up so it automatically creates that completion if they have obviously been deemed as, as competent. So the very, very last screen will just be the attachment screen. So if you do need to take photos, now you could have taken photos all the way through. I'm just gonna take a photo of my screen, hopefully. Okay, and I will. Um, so I've, I can retake it, I can use, or I can just use that photo um, if I, you know, if I choose to do so. So in this particular case, I'll just um, uh, move from there. So just give me a moment. Um, there we go, just try to search for the button. Okay, and let's put that photograph onto there. And I could and I could put as many, I could put as many photographs in there if I need to as evidence of the of the process. I can now just finish the process and then simply hit submit. So that's now syncing back to the server. So it may be doing some other things in the back end. It might be updating their training record or, or creating a training record automatically. Um, it also because it integrates with all our other modules, it will also be doing things like, I'll just move the iPad out of the way for a moment. It will also be doing things like updating the actual training matrix. So if someone's completed it in real time, when you run the training matrix, you'll see that they've actually got, you know, a, a, a green circle to show that they've actually successfully completed it. So all of these modules talk to each other, they all update, um, and you can have hundreds of these different verification of competencies in the system. Um, and you can also provide access to the verifications that people are allowed to do. So you wouldn't want someone being an assessor for a forklift when they weren't the appropriate person to do that assessment. So that's basically it for the module. Um, gives you some idea of how we can use technology to support the process. Back to you, Sarah. Adrian, um, uh, Terry mentioned earlier, he, he went on about the critical control process um, and the ICMMM. Um, and I'm assuming that if these competencies are related to a control, that would also um, trigger some workflow if that became an issue in the um, on a digital bow tie. Yeah, absolutely. So um, because we have the rules engine, which can automatically update things like critical controls um, and, and risk events, um, it can go in and update and change statuses of other documents. So it could, if there was something that resulted from the verification of competency where you wanted to update the control um, or update the um, some information in those other modules. Um, through our rules engine, it's completely configurable. You can set that up so it can automatically do that. So yeah, good, good point, Sarah. So um, Terry, I've just shared in the chat um, a link to the Academy. It's not the exact page, but if people go to that link, they will find all the FIFO webinars and all critical control webinars that you've done and many other webinars on contract management as well. So you can find them there. I also shared um, a link to the digital bow tie that we've got, which is actually probably the world's first truly digital bow tie that um, is a great uh, innovative way to do risk assessments. So there's a link to that. And if anyone wants um, a bit more demonstration, there's a link to book a 15 minute or longer overview with Mayosh. Terry, there's a few more questions to quickly get through. Oh, you're on mute, Terry. Ah, sorry, rookie error. I think we're um we're chatting to those people online now, so um we'll get back to everyone there because it is now just gone one thirty. So, but Millie and I have been uh, replying to people by the chat. Great. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. Any other questions? You know, everyone's probably got my email address, or they can. So um, yeah, we can forward questions on. So. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for joining us um, at the end, Adrian and Amelia. That was great. Thank you. Um, yeah, lots of people, but we'll send out a video later today. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Okay, bye. Thanks, Louise.